I talked to a woman uh, over the last few weeks whose life is a living hell. Her words, not mine. We'll call her Nancy. Nancy is addicted to drugs. She's using several times every single day. And when she's coming off the drugs, her body uh, in withdrawal is causing incredible aches and pains to just come upon her. And she's in a relationship with a guy. They've, they've known each other for quite a while, but this guy's no good for her. He doesn't actually love her. He doesn't care for her. And she says, this is really bad. And Nancy's a mom. She has a four-month-old baby born while Nancy was high. And so the baby is growing up with grandma. I asked Nancy, are you interested in getting treatment and going through detox? And she says, yeah, I've considered it. And I said, well, um, can I, we, I don't know exactly how you access those servants, but the folks down at Blackburn here on the corner, they know. So would you walk with me? We'll go down there right now. We'll, we'll get coffee at Jubilee Hall um, in the bottom of Blackburn, and we'll go talk to them and see if we can get you help today. And Nancy said, well, I can't because I'm going to go see my daughter today. And I said, that's good, but I'm pretty sure your mom and your daughter would both rather not see you because you checked yourself into treatment and detox. So rather than coming to visit for an hour, you can come and stay for the rest of your life. And she goes, okay, that's probably true. I said, so you want to go? And she went, well, I'll have to think about it. Yesterday, I was talking to someone else. We'll call him Bob. And Bob thinks he can make a change in his life because, you know, he only uses drugs once or twice a week. And he's only been on the streets less than a year. So he's pretty much in control and he can change when he wants to. <laughs> I looked at Bob and I said, prove it, prove it. I said, come back six months sober and I'll pay you $100. And he's like, well, yeah, if I was six months sober, I probably, probably wouldn't take your money. I said, that's fine. Either way, I'm going to win. If he goes off drugs for six months, it's worth the money. It's actually probably like the cheapest treatment program <laughs> in the city if it, if it worked. Or, or Bob's going to find out something else. He's going to find out that he cannot actually do it on his own. That he doesn't have the strength to make the change. And I was urging him, like, let me drive you down to the local detox center. Will you come with me today? And, of course, Bob said, I'll have to think about it. And before we throw our homeless neighbors just under the bus and leave them there, uh, truth is we should crawl down with them. Because would you raise your hand? Do you know something in your life that would be good for you to do, that you need to do, and that you have not yet taken action on? That's what I thought. Okay. Me too. All right. So now we're talking about not, not a fundamental difference, but just one of degrees. All right. We know what it is to do good and that we have a choice. We could choose today to do what is in our best interest, and we don't. Over and over again even just a couple nights ago. I'm like, all right, I know what would make me happy. I know what would lead to the best life. What I need to do is to quit resting here in this chair and to do the dishes and get the kids to bed and just do the night's chores. And then my night will be free. And Karen and I, we can spend time together and I can get a good night's sleep and today will go great. Something as simple as that. It's like, yeah, that didn't happen. Of course, I did what I often do. And I procrastinated, and I delayed, and then, you know, the kids didn't get to bed on time. And then there's still the dishes left to be done, and now it's super late, and now I'm waking up cranky the next day. And it's like, I know, I know what would be good for me. Why don't I choose it? And it is such a, there's a fundamental condition of humanity 
this really odd thing about us, that we know what is good and we don't choose it, that we come up with proverbs, you know, to err as human. Or as I expressed one time to a coworker, I said, all I want to do is to do the right thing at the right time, in the right way and for the right reason. And she uh, smiled patronizingly at me, and she said, that's impossible. It's like, why? Why is that impossible? Is there any hope? It's almost like we could choose the good. We know it's possible. We know we can, but we can't at the same time. And our lives are this walking contradiction. We live in paradox. And what hope do we have? And this morning, Moses is going to address the Israelites with a choice that they both seemingly can and cannot make at the same time. And if you've been walking with us in our series through the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch or the Law of Moses or the Torah, um, all referring to the same books here, we begin in the Garden of Eden and we end on the plains of Moab looking across the Jordan River at God's promised land with the nation of Israel. And Moses has been dealing with the Israelites as their leader for the last four decades of his life. And he's going to die. He doesn't get to cross the Jordan River and go into the land with them. And so he's giving them his last words. You know, uh, a sermon to die for, literally. He's doing everything he can to get blessing into these people if they would only listen to him. And so Deuteronomy has this kind of three-part structure. It begins with Moses urging them that God is their life. This God that saved them from Egypt and entered into relationship with them. They should love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and meditate on the words that Moses has given them and they will go and be prosperous and successful. And then the center part of Deuteronomy is a bunch of rules and laws that have been adapted for life in the land because right now they have been a nomadic tribal people wandering around in the wilderness for the last four decades. So some things will need to shift and change. And then... We're in the final section. Moses is concluding again with this urging, would you listen and love and obey and be blessed? And last week, we looked at the blessings and the curses that could come upon Israel. Because at the end of the day, the agenda is not about Israel. It's about the world. See, Yahweh, who created the heaven and earth, has chosen that through the family line of Abraham, through the Israelites, God is going to bring his blessings to the entire world. And so Israel will be a living walking object lesson. And if they follow God, then they can be a positive example to the world. And everyone's going to look in going like, oh, check those people out and look at their God. Wow, isn't he amazing? And if they choose not to follow Yahweh, everyone's going to look in and go, oh, oh dear, what's going on there? And they're going to learn something about Yahweh. All right, Israel has signed up for this relationship and the choice is before them. And that's where we come today. All right, so the passage this morning, 29 and 30, it's a choice. And it has this kind of five-part structure. The outer ends are all about the present moment and a decision that the Israelites need to make. Go in one layer on either side, and we're talking about the future, about how Israel is going to act, and then about how God is going to act. And there's this one verse interlude right smack dab in the middle. So let's read. Now, these are the terms of the covenant Yahweh commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab, In addition to the covenant he made with them at Horeb, Moses summoned all the Israelites and he said to them, Your eyes have seen all that Yahweh did in Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to all his land. With your own eyes, you saw those great trials, those signs and great wonders. Okay, you guys have had experience. We know exactly what happened. 
but to this day Yahweh has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. You still don't get it yet. And yet Yahweh says, during the 40 years I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread, you drank no wine or other fermented drink, and I did this so that you might know that I am Yahweh, your God, that I am the I am that I am, your God. All right, you haven't put it together. I am the God that saved you and sustained you, and that should mean something to you. You should know me, but right now they don't understand Yahweh's character. They don't understand his compassion. They don't know him yet. And Moses is trying to, like, wake them up to reality. Look around, you guys. Your feet, your shoes that you've been wearing for the last four decades still have tread on them. And everyone's like, oh, yeah. Parents, look at your kids. They still have knees on their pants after four decades in the wilderness. Like, that shouldn't happen. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's not normal. You know, your hemlines and your collars, they haven't worn out. God is miraculously sustaining you. During this time, and you guys haven't put it together, how much he loves and cares for you. You don't know him yet. And when you reached this place, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, came out to fight against us. Remember the giants? And we defeated them. And we took their land, and we gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And so carefully follow the terms of this covenant, so that you may prosper in everything you do. Again, this is the end game. Blessing prosperity, joy, goodness. And Moses says, all of you are standing today in the presence of Yahweh your God. He's here with us. Your leaders and your chief men and your elders and your officials and all the other men of Israel, together with your children and your wives and the foreigners living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. Literally all of you. And you're standing here because you have a choice. You're standing here in order to enter into a covenant with Yahweh your God a covenant with Yahweh that Yahweh is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as his people that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a, a chance to re-up on your covenant vows with Yahweh like, like a married couple who's been married for a number of years decide to re-make, re-vow faithfulness to one another for life. All right, that's, that's what they're doing today. And Moses says, I'm making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of Yahweh our God, but also with those who are not here today, with the future generations and with those who are going to be reading this text of Deuteronomy. You yourselves know. You know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries on the way here. And you saw among them their detestable images uh, and idols of wood and stone of silver and gold. You have seen the other options, you know, because everyone worships something. Are we all orbit around something? We, our lives are lived around some kind of center, and either it's Yahweh or it's what everyone else is worshiping, all right? These idols, these statues of wood and stone, these detestable images, which one commentator was blessed me enough by pointing out that um, the Hebrew word used is associated with uh, sheep turds, all right? These are crap gods. They do nothing and they stink. You know that, and you know Yahweh, the one who saved and sustained you. You guys have a choice today. What are you going to make? 
So make sure there's no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from Yahweh your God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there's no root among you that produces such bitter poison. You think it's a small little thing. But let me tell you what, that that seed sown is going to grow up and it's going to kill you. Because when such a person, a man or a woman, hears the words of this oath, and then they invoke a blessing on themselves thinking, oh, you know, I'll be safe even though I persist in going my own way. You think that you can bless yourself by choosing what's right in your own eyes instead of trusting in Yahweh. Let me tell you what, you're going to bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. Literally a catastrophic flood of judgment over the whole land. And Yahweh will never be willing to forgive him or them. His wrath and zeal will burn against them. All the curses written in this book will fall on them and Yahweh will blot their names out from under heaven. Yahweh will single them out from all the tribes of Israel for disaster according to all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. It's a corporate agreement with all of Israel, but Moses says if there's any one of you that think that outwardly you can sign in to this and inwardly you can go your own direction, it's not going to work because Yahweh sees it and he cares about it. And, and don't do it. You cut yourself off from the source of life and you're going to die. So that was the present. Now we're going to the future. Your children who follow you in later generations and foreigners who come from distant lands, they're going to see the calamity that has fallen on the land and the diseases with which Yahweh has afflicted it. The whole land will be a burning waste of salt and sulfur, nothing planted, nothing sprouting, no vegetation growing on it. If you persist in rebellion and turning away from God, the land of milk and honey, the promised land, the garden of Eden-like land, will turn into a land of sulfur and salt with nothing growing. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboi, in which Yahweh overthrew in his fierce anger, and all the nations are going to ask in horror, why has Yahweh done this to this land? Why this fierce burning anger? And the answer is going to be, well, it's because this people abandoned the covenant of Yahweh, the God of their ancestors, the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. The one who saved them made a covenant with them. And they went out and they worshipped these other gods. They bowed down to them. Gods they did not know. They had no past experience with. Gods who had not saved and sustained them. Gods he had not given them. And so therefore Yahweh's anger burned against this land so that he brought on it all the curses written in this book. That in furious anger and in great wrath, Yahweh uprooted them from their land and thrust them into another land as it is now. The secret things belong to Yahweh our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law, this instruction or Torah. Another voice speaks up right here, right in the middle, and says, you know what, we don't know everything, and there are secrets that we haven't figured out. Those things belong to God, but we know enough today to obey what has been revealed to us. Keep the Torah. All right, back to the future. When all these blessings and curses I've set before you come on you, because they will, you're going to totally fail to do what I'm telling you today. And you've taken them to heart, you know, wherever Yahweh, your God, disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to Yahweh, your God, and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, well, then Yahweh, your God, will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he is dis- 
sorry, it's cut off there, from all the nations where he has sent you. Anywhere you're reading in the rest of the Bible, if you run across that phrase, restore your fortunes, it means bring you back from captivity. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there Yahweh your God will gather you. He will bring you back. You have been faithless, but he will keep his promises. And he will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors, and Yahweh your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul. Back in chapter 10, Moses told the Israelites, change your own hearts. And now in chapter 30, he says, but you can't. So God's going to have to do it for you. Yahweh your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate you and persecute you. You're going to again obey Yahweh and follow all his commands that I'm giving you today. And Yahweh your God will make you the most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb and the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. I mean, it sounds pretty good. Yahweh will again delight in you and make you prosperous as he delighted in your ancestors if you obey Yahweh your God and you keep the commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and you turn to Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And we're confused, right? Who acts first? Does Israel need to like come back to God and obey or does God need to act to change their heart so that they can love and obey him so that they can live? Welcome to the tension of the text I've been wrestling with for a few weeks. And Moses goes on. He says, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven that you have to ask, oh, who's going to go up into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? And it's not beyond the sea so that you have to ask, oh, who's going to cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. So you may obey it. Moses is saying, guys, you don't need new instruction. You don't need another Moses who went into heaven and brought back God's word to us. You don't need another version of me who's going to lead you across the Red Sea, you know, across the sea and bring God's word to you. It's right in front of you. You have everything you need to make a choice today to obey. You just need to, you know, use what you have right now. See, I set before you life and prosperity and death and destruction. I command you today to love Yahweh your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands and decrees and laws, and then you will live and increase, and Yahweh your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you're not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, then I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. So this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. So choose life that you and your children may live and that you may love Yahweh your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for Yahweh is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Welcome to the tension. Israel, you can choose life today. It's within your grasp. Oh, and, and I know that you won't. It's a foregone conclusion. You're going to fail. <laughs> what? This makes, like, what? What do we do with this? Can they choose life or can't they? Can, can they succeed and experience God's goodness or will they not? And and it's this 
it's this unresolved tension in the text. And this tension is going to exist for another like 1,400 years and about 1,000 pages of Scripture before we get to the New Testament. And the tension inherent in the choice put before Israel is finally resolved. Who acts first, Israel or God? Well, there's going to come a guy named John the Baptist who's going to echo Moses, and he's going to call Israel to repent, change, and come back to God because God's kingdom is right around the corner. It's time to get serious with God. And then sure enough, God keeps his promises. He brings a new covenant through his son, Jesus, who dies for the sins of the world and is raised from the dead and ascends into heaven and pours out the Holy Spirit upon God's people to actually change their heart so now they can love God and experience all his joys and blessings while waiting in hope. So the tension eventually does get resolved, but right now it's, it's really hard to live with. You can choose to make a choice, but you won't. Because your hearts ultimately are hard and you can't change them. You need to wait and hope that God one day in the future will change your heart. So what do you do? And at this point, the center of the text, that voice that speaks in saying, we don't understand everything. There are secrets we don't know. But what we can do today is to respond to what we have been given. Follow God's instructions. Or as Moses would say, though you're going to fail one day and all these bad things are coming your way, Though life, one day, God will be faithful and keep his promises. What do you do today? Today, choose life. Today, don't just say, well, I'm going to have to think about it. See, the paradox is that Israel can choose the good, but they won't. But there is still hope. Despite their upcoming faithlessness, Yahweh, who's going to be faithful, he will one day change their hearts and bring them home. And for now, even though there's many things hidden, well, they should act on what they know to love Yahweh and to follow the Torah and to choose life today. And so, family of grace, in light of this, I want to call us to do the same thing. There are things that we don't know that we would love to have the answers for. Believe me, I would love to have the answers for some of the things that are happening in our world today, and I don't have all the answers. I don't know what to do. But that doesn't mean that I'm paralyzed and that I can't act. Someone texted me this week saying, referencing what's going on in Israel and Gaza right now. And they said, how could God allow this? Like, how can these things be possible? Where is God in all of this? And I, I just texted back, it is terrible, isn't it? I don't have an answer. I, I don't know why God basically anything. <laughs> I don't have to have the answers. I just need to know him. And the God that Jesus Christ reveals is a God who is present with those who are suffering, a God who is reigning, and he has his own purposes and his own time, and in time he will judge the wicked, he will take care of it. I still don't know, but I know him, and that's enough for right now, to trust and obey, and to do what he set before me. Because I can't do anything about Israel and Gaza, but, you know, I can love my wife and my kids and my neighbor. And I can be kind to the person down the street. I don't, I don't have all the answers, but I have an answer for today that I can still move. I can choose life today. Or I can choose destruction. So we're going to live with paradox this morning. We don't have all the answers, but we have enough to make a choice because God has given us hope. So the guy I named Bob, I was talking to him a few weeks ago because he's around in this community. And we were talking about the druggies on the street, and I was just bemoaning the fact, I'm like, they know these substances will kill them. And he said, yeah, they know. 
they know this stuff will kill them, but they say, we all got to die of something someday. So why not? Why not do what makes you happy now if one day you're going to die and that's it? There's no reason to, to postpone the inevitable. And I said, well, this is why we need the good news of Jesus. This is why we need to know that, that there is life beyond death, that the historical fact of the resurrection of this Jewish guy named Jesus 2,000 years ago changes our life and gives us hope so that in light of the hope that God will one day bring about, we can choose different right now. We don't have to still think about it. See, God is looking for a kind of people who know him and how good he is, and so they're not going to go look elsewhere. All right, we've seen the gods the other nations worship. In our culture, you know, money, sex, and power are some of the big three. Let me tell you where that ends up, all right? I worked at a retirement care home, and I think every young person should go take care of the elderly and just pay attention to the direction and the end that people's lives lead them. Because I saw a woman there who worshipped sex and pleasure, and, and, you know, she was a Playboy bunny back in the day. She traveled the world working in the sex industry. And now she's a shriveled old lady in her 60s who has the emotional maturity of a teenager, dating a guy 30 years younger, living for her glory days, which are long past. Worshipping sex will not satisfy in the long run. And then there was a guy who worshipped money and career, and he made millions of dollars, and he committed adultery on his wife, and he didn't have time for his kids, and so now he has all the money in the world and no one to share it with, and it means nothing to him. And then there's a guy who followed God and loved his family and lived a simple life. And he doesn't have much in the way of worldly possessions, but he has a family and kids around him every single day. And you know which one everyone else in the building is envying. Do we know God and how good he is? That he's a God who saved and sustains us? Or do we feel like we, we could find better elsewhere? You, you can't. Will we trust and obey him despite incomplete knowledge? Because we don't know everything. All right? I don't know why sometimes you just feel down about life, why things can be so good and yet so hard, why the world is the way it is, what to do about the problems in this city, let alone across the globe. Like, I don't have all the answers, and life is still really, really hard some days. But I can trust and obey God. God is looking for people who will repent and wait for his future action on their behalf and those who love him because he is their life. And so family of grace make a choice today to choose life. Because God's enabled us to do that. Here's the good news. God has already acted to enable us to make the choice that one day we could have. Yes, it's true. We all know what we should do. And most of the time we don't. But for those who are in Jesus, God has sovereignly promised to empower us to actually be able to choose what is good. We don't have to be stuck in those choices. So the first thing to choosing life is don't harden your heart. Please don't think right now that, okay, I hear about Jesus and I hear about the life of following God, but you know, I'll have to think about it. I'll do differently. I'll, I'll go chase after my own sin. I'll, I'll be willing to give up this much to God, but not everything because this thing is precious to me. Don't do that. Understand that God is, is life, that Jesus is life, and there's nothing worth putting at the center of your life more than him. That if Jesus is at the center, everything in the end will go well for you. And if Jesus isn't at the center, nothing in the end is going to go well for you. 
don't make a decision to follow your own pleasures. It's not going to end well. We're all there. See, the, the, the life that I would choose is if you're not a Jesus follower, the Bible says repent and choose life. All right, here's, here's the good news. Jesus died for your sins. So that if you trust in him, you will live forever. That is the ultimate hope and future of all those who put their faith in Jesus. All right? We can have life and blessing and abundance with God. We don't have to pay for the wrongs that we have done. We can trust Jesus. Because of Jesus, when God looks at us, he's not going to see the skeletons that are in my closet. He's not going to see my terrible track record. All right? Because of what Jesus has done for me when God looks at me, or if you trust in Jesus when God looks at you, he's going to see a perfect, spotless record of his beloved son, and he loves you as much as he loves Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, repent and believe and be saved. Because there's only one God who will save and sustain you, and his name is Jesus. That's how you pronounce Yahweh. And if you are a Jesus follower, then choose life today by expressing love for God through obedience. All right, so I'm just calling you guys to, it's pretty simple. I'm going to ask for a five-minute commitment today. All right, something that takes five minutes or less, because most of our lives are not made by momentous decisions, but by small, accumulated decisions every day that lead to the kind of people that we're going to be 50 years from now. And so today, in the next five minutes, is there a choice that you can make to live into life and to obey God more fully? All right? If there's something you know, like, I need to do this, and you can do it right now on your phone in less than two minutes, just stop listening to me and just get it out of the way. Maybe you need to turn to the person next to you or to a friend and ask them, would you help me to walk towards Jesus because I'm struggling right now and I can't do it on my own? On my own, I'm going to choose to postpone this once more. Or maybe by walking with somebody, we can begin a change that will lead to a, a lifetime. Maybe you need to make a note. Maybe you need to go serve someone or meet a need. Maybe you need to be Jesus for someone else and show up in their life and speak an encouraging word. It takes, you know, five minutes or less. Making a choice is rather quick. The effects of it can last a really long time. Maybe right now you need to surrender something in your life that you've never given over to God. There's been this fortress inside of your heart that you're like, Jesus, you can have all the rest of it, just not this, whatever this may be. And maybe it's time to give him the keys and to say, you can take this too. I'm not saying it's easy. And again, I don't have all the answers. And sometimes Jesus doesn't make sense, and life really doesn't make sense, and this is super, super hard. And I'm so glad that God gets that, and the scriptures understand that. There's a story in the Bible about one of Jesus' key followers, a guy named Peter. Because Jesus has just spoken words that are so hard to understand and to deal with that a bunch of Jesus' disciples at the time, like, heard it and went, mm, nope, we're out. And then Jesus looks at Peter and, and the other apostles and says, do you guys want to leave too? And Peter brilliantly responds, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life, and we've come to know and to believe that you are the Holy One of God. You know, here's Peter saying, I don't have all the answers, and what you said doesn't make sense, and it's really, really uncomfortable to live with, but you have life that's not available anywhere else, and so I'm still in, even though I don't understand. Later, there's a, a father that encountered Jesus, 
And Jesus says, yeah, I can do this thing for you if you have faith. And he's like, all right, Lord, I believe. And then he gets really honest and he says, um, help my unbelief. We don't have all the answers. I don't know everything, but I know enough to act today. God, help me. And maybe that five-minute decision is simply this, to, to just bow our heads and pray, God, would you change my heart? Because I know what is good and I don't do it. Would you help me to want to do it? And if you're not there, you know, you can backtrack this. God, would you help me to want to want to do it? Would you help me to want to want to want to do it? And keep going until you can finally say yes and start there. Because he loves us. Because we know him. He is a God who saves people. He's a God who loves his enemies. He's a God who actually lays down his life for those who hate him. He really is that good. Would we cling to him today? Family of grace, would we choose life right now? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, it is a sad reality that we're just really not better than the people that we look down on. We're made of the same stuff, and in general, the the choices are, are one of degrees. We don't trust you, not fully. And we're always looking around saying, is there something better? And we are so dissatisfied with the best things in the world. God, if you leave us in our own state, we're going to wreck our lives. And we're going to choose what will destroy us. We know it's possible. God, we know that this should be possible. And yet our lives in human history play out that we cannot do this without you. And so please change our hearts today more. And then keep going. And Father, may one day we, we rest in the truth that you who have begun a good work in us will bring it to completion fully on the day of Christ Jesus. And Father, in this paradox and in the meantime, would you help us to live in the tension of knowing that you love us and yet we're not the people we're meant to be, that you're working on us and yet we are not as far along as we wish we could be, that you love us despite all that we've done because of Christ. And and God, would you help us increasingly day after day to choose what is wise and good and to choose life to be able to act without complete knowledge, trusting that you've got it and that things belong to you. God, save your people, Lord, and save those who are not yet your people. God, save Nancy and save Bob and save this city and save this world and bring about that salvation that you promised because right now we're still waiting. And so you have to act. And until then, may we follow your instructions. May we love your son. And by your work in us, may we learn to love like him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.